Hello, everybody, and welcome to Mrs. G's Storytime. We are reading a new book today, Twice Freed, and it is by Patricia Sanjan, with permission of Christian Focus Publications. And before I start reading the book, I want to read the foreword by her sister, Hazel Sanjan. When Patricia Sanjan was about 13 years old, her imagination was captured by the story of Onesimus, the runaway slave whose small history was captured in the New Testament book of Philemon. She told her father she wished to write a novel based on the incident, and without a flicker of a smile, he accompanied her to the public library. My daughter wishes to write a novel set in Bible times, he announced to the astonished librarian. Could you please show her ancient history section where she can do some research on the period? Patricia failed to see the wink that she, that she later felt must have passed between them and felt very solemn and adult. She obediently researched and found quite a lot about Roman world and the ancient Greece. She wrote her book laboriously, mostly in pencil and a multitude of lined penny notebooks. Our family applauded her, but never went any further. Some years later, the manuscripts, almost forgotten, was lost in a move. But the idea never quite left her, and one day, years later, in 1966, we both set out for Lebanon in a small Volkswagen with a tent and a stove on a six-week journey from Beirut to Tangier in North Africa. This took us to every place mentioned in St. Paul's Journeys in the Book of Acts and to many other places too except Caesarea and the islands of the, of the sea. Among the most exciting were Colossae where Onesimus lived and Laodicea across the valley and Rome where Paul, the prisoner Onesimus, found new life in Christ. The story of that journey and its adventures can be read in the autobiography of Patricia Sanjin Tells Her Own Story, which is a book I want to read to you later. Twice Free was written soon after she reached North Africa. Patricia wrote 26 books, mostly for children and teenagers, and P.S., I think for adults too. There had been translated into many different languages, and there are five biographies, a book of verses in the story of Rwanda revival, Breath of Life, and several booklets. Two of her stories, Treasures of Snow and Tanglewood Secrets, have been made into films, and the third is being prepared. Though Patricia left us in 1993, letters still come from different parts of the world from grown-ups and children who think she is still with us and who want to tell her how much her stories have meant to them. What always made her most glad was the news that someone, through her books, had found, like Onesimus, the difference that knowing Christ had made to, her, to life. This book is dedicated to my sister Hazel, who produced a Volkswagen and a tent and accompanied me in the steps of St. Paul. Patricia Sanjan. Chapter 1. <clears throat> it was mid-afternoon in early July, and the parched world was, in general, asleep. The black flocks from which the valley was famous huddled under the poplar trees, and reapers drowsed in the shade of their stalks of corn and under their wooden carts. In the well-to-do houses set high above the pasture land, prosperous landowners and farmers and wool merchants slept soundly on their couches while their slaves dozed guiltily with one ear cocked under the vines in the courtyard. Even the vultures hung motionless as though stuck flat against the blue. Only up in the gorge, where the air seemed to swim over the burning rocks, something moved. A brown-skinned boy of twelve, naked except for a loincloth and sandals, was climbing the canyon with grace and agility of a young wildcat. 
He cared nothing for the sweat that was streaming down his face or for the rocks that blistered his hands, for this was this, his hour of freedom. From early dawn till late at night, he belonged to his master and outwardly bowed to his discipline. But at this hour, he belonged to himself and lived and conquered and exalted. Here in the canyons, nothing would withstand him. In winter, he cut paths through the snowdrifts, and in the spring, he breasted the cascades and the waterfalls. In the summer, the fierce afternoon heat would not daunt him, and he climbed on with one eye on the sun, which was now to the west of him. When the shadow of the rock above reached him, the border of the olive grove below, he knew he must turn home. But he still had time to reach the old fallen pine that blocked the ravine and to dive into the green pool that lay on the further side of it. The gorge was narrowing now, and the pines and stunted oaks and Jupiters cast their shadow across the ravine. The stream was no more than a trickle, but it was cool and sweet, and he dashed the water on his face and body and felt that he could go on climbing all day. He always yearned to go further up to the bitter salt lake, Anava, where the flowers grew and where the river locust was born and up to the snows of the Mount Cadmus, where the shade was creeping towards the olive grove and his master would soon be stirring in his sleep. He cursed and spit. At last he would have time for a quick swim in the green pool that was so deep that it never dried up. He scampered up on the fallen tree and then stopped dead, his mouth open and his eyes dilated with a strange, suspicious fear. For a little girl was sitting on the trunk, dangling her legs over the water, singing softly to herself. She was about nine or ten years old, small, slender, with smooth hair hanging to her waist. Her cheeks were flushed with heat, and her lap was full of flowers she had been gathering, buttercups forget-me-nots from the stream's edge. So absorbed was she that she did not see the boy approaching. Who was she? Her simple tunic was a rich material. Her sandals were new and expensive. Her bearing, even as she played, was that of a little queen. He watched her intently, crouching on the trunk, for she was, he was still not sure of her identity. Was she the daughter of some Cybele, the great mother of nature, to whose arms the dead returned from homing, homing children? Well, if she was, there was nothing to fear, for she certainly was no demon. He drew a little nearer, and a twig snapped under his foot. She looked up and gave a start, but she showed no great surprise or fear, for she was a practical child, and to her, a boy was a boy. Besides, he looked like a nice boy, and she was beginning to feel, feel slightly afraid of what, what she had done. What are you doing up here, boy? He, she asked in a perfect Greek. I thought everyone was asleep. What are you doing, he retorted very severely, for he was convinced now that she was nothing but a human girl. It's a long way up the canyon for a little maid to stray alone. And anyway, who are you? I'm Irina, replied the girl. She spoke guardedly and watched him gravely, as though wondering how much it was safe to reveal. And he gazed back at her, the tremendous sunlight falling upon her through the pine boughs, so alone, so defenseless among the crags of the ravine, and he found himself longing to know all about her, to gain her trust, and if need be, to protect her. But where is your home, Irina? I've, I've never seen you playing with the little girls of Colossi. I live in Laodicea, she replied, still watchful, still hesitant. Laodicea, he repeated in astonishment, for Laodicea was ten miles across the valley. Surely you, you never came here alone, and will no one be looking for you? Yes, they will, her eyes suddenly twinkled with amusement, and her confidence came pouring out. 
they will be getting crazy about me. I came over this morning with my father. He makes cloaks, and he came to talk to Master Philemon about wool. But they went in to dine together, and I was left with my nurse and the slaves. My nurse started to talk to Philemon's slaves, and she didn't want me to hear. She gave me some food and told me to go into the vineyard, but there was nothing to do in the vineyard, and I wanted to climb and see what lay at the top of the canyons, so I ran away. I climbed right up here, and I should have gone further, but the green pool stopped me. But weren't you afraid so high up all alone? No, replied Irina with spirit. I like being alone. I've been, I get sick of my nurse. She's so afraid of my father, she ne- never takes my, her eyes off of me at home. It's Irina this, Irina that, till I could scream. Why should I do what she wants and go where she takes me all day long? Don't you ever want to get away from everybody and do what you like instead of doing what you're told all the time? The boy laughed aloud. Here was indeed a kindred spirit. Yes, he replied, indeed I do. That is why I come up to the ravine, to get away from everyone and do what I like. Sometimes when I've had time, I swim across the pools and go higher up to the rocks, up to where the eagles live. One day I shall go even further. One day I shall follow the river right to its source. One day I shall climb right to the top of the peak and look over the whole land of Vigia, away to the sea westward. And then one day I shall cross that sea. They say the land of Greece is the most beautiful in the world. He stopped and surprised at his own outburst, for he usually kept his longing to himself. His thoughts came back abruptly to the little creatures at his side, who sat staring up at him and eyes alit, staring into his, sharing his visions. You ought to go home, he said. Your nurse will be out of her mind. And what about your mother? Did, did you leave her in Laodicea? A shadow passed over the child's face. She died two years ago, she said sharply. When she was alive, it was different. She never watched me all the time, and she let me play and pick flowers and go where I liked. And when she was alive, I was free. Have you no brothers or sisters to play with? No, there's only me. My father says I'm all he has and very precious to him, so my nurse never dares to stop looking after me. My father's a very busy man, always down at the looms or going to look at the wolves or traveling down to Ephesus or Miletus with his merchandise. Sometimes I think he forgets all about me. I don't suppose he does, really, said the boy comfortingly. Come, Eurena, we must go home now at once. Swing over the bow like that and you'll reach the rock with the tip of your toes. Now down to the next one into the stream bed. It's easier there. Loop your dress into your girdle and take my hand. Now just drop, jump from rock to rock as I do, and we'll soon be down. He glanced anxiously at the shadows below him, and all, already half the olive grove was immersed in shade. He was very late, and his master Philemon had an important guest and would have been yelling at him for the past hour. He had not known what had been happening in the master's house, as he had been sent out early with a message to the shepherds in a distant pasture up the valley, and not been expected back until after Philemon's siesta. Perhaps he could invent some story about difficulty in finding the flocks. That might at least delay his beating until his master could investigate. In any case, it did not matter much. He was used to beatings. What mattered now was a nimble little creature who held her hand, his held his hand so tightly and laughed so gaily that she missed her footing. Skipping from one side of the stream bed to the other, he must hold her over, he must hold 
must hand her over safe and sound to her nurse. Say goodbye? She was the only daughter of a rich Laodicean merchant, and he was poor slave of Colossae. Why should he mind refuse his mind refused so doggedly to say goodbye? They were nearly out of the canyon now, and he reached up to help her down from the boulder too high for her. But before he could hold, take hold of her, he was startled by a piercing scream behind him, and turning his head quickly, he received a stinging slap in the face from another, and then another from a strong young slave, while the nurse screamed hysterically and held out her arms to the child. "'Oh, Mistress Irina, Mistress Irina, you cruel girl!' shrieked the nurse. "'How could you disobey me and run off with this wicked, wicked boy?' Oh, Mr. Serena, I've been nearly out of my mind, hunting through the vineyards where I told you to stay. How could you listen to a low slave and run away from your poor old nurse? Oh, beat him again, Meninger. Beat the breath out of him. Meninger, holding the boy fast, noticed he was neither struggled nor made any attempt to escape. He lifted his hand to strike him again, but was arrested by a sudden shriek of rage above him. Irina stood poised on the boulder like a small, commanding fury, her eyes blazing and trembling with anger. Let him go this instant, Meninger, she shouted. Do as I tell you immediately or I'll tell my father of you. How dare you hit that good boy? She suddenly ceased to be a commanding force and burst into tears, a frightened, hurt little girl whose happy afternoon had been spoiled. Kicking her nurse aside, she slid off the boulder all by herself and took her stand defiantly beside the boy. Meninger had let go. He had a healthy fear of the little mistress's temper. "'Does my father know I'm lost yet?' said Irina, sniffing hard. The tears were still coming down her cheeks, but she had drawn herself up in her full, small height and held her head high. "'No, Mistress Irina,' tweeted the nurse. "'He's still talking business, and he will call for you at any moment now. I pray you'll come back quickly.' I shall not come back if you say any bad things about this boy, retorted Irina. I shall stay here and be lost, and my father will be very, very angry with you both for losing me. He will probably punish you both when I tell him. It was only too likely the nurse started to plead tearfully. Meninger scratched his head, and the boy looked at him straight in the face. Come here, Irina, he said gently. I must go to my work now, but if I see your father, I will tell him you are all coming. He took her hand and helped her over the last rough bit of rock. Meninger controlled himself with a difficulty. Mistress, protested the frantic nurse, a common slave? I don't care what he is, retorted Irina. He's a boy and he helped me. Goodbye, boy, and thank you. One day we will meet again. The gods forbid, muttered Meninger under his breath. But the boy took no notice. He turned back and looked straight at Irina and spoke to her alone as though ratifying a covenant. Yes, he said, one day we shall meet again. And tomorrow is chapter two. There are no titles on these chapters, so we'll just go from one chapter to the next. And I hope you're going to enjoy this book. I remember reading it a long time ago, and it, it is a good book and always has a good message in it. I love you, and I'm praying for you, and we'll see you tomorrow on Chapter 2 of Twice Freed. Bye-bye.